Good morning. Good morning. My name is Brett Ferris, and I am one of the elders here at Risen North. Um, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, that's probably my fault. Um, I got a little too much Martha in me and not enough Mary in me, um, and so that's probably on me. Um, but if you haven't met my, this is my wife, Ashley, if you haven't met her yet, like, if I haven't met you, I'm missing out. If you haven't met her yet, you're missing out, right? So if you're going to start with a Ferris, start there and then like work your way around. Everybody that knows the Ferris, see, thank you. Amen. Right? It's true. Um, I also obviously don't preach nearly as much as Sean or Michael do, so I think that affords me a little bit of freedom to be perfectly honest with you, right? Because I don't have to come back next week, right? They do. Um, and the honest truth is, is this is scary, okay? It's terrifying, right? And like, no offense, but like, I'm not scared of you. So like, I, I love you, but I'm not, you don't scare me, okay? Because I'm, I'm gonna mess up going to slur my words. I'm going to lose my train of thought. I'm going to look somewhere I'm not supposed to look or whatever. I don't really care about all that, right? Because I'm not up here to perform. I'm not scared of what you're going to think. What's terrifying is shouldering the responsibility of the word of God. And these guys can tell you that, right? It's scary. Um, But God, amen? Like, the two greatest words in the English language that could ever be put together, but God. That gives me great confidence. That that takes the edge off. And even we're going to see in the passage that we're studying today that um, the relationship between the people of Israel and God is like that, that the relationship that I have with God this morning, right? And that, like, I have a responsibility, yes, right? I have prepared. I have notes, right? But God. God is the one in this room that's going to move this morning, right? God is the one that has the power to change. Jesus goes ahead. God will move. And I could get up here and go like this, right? And God could move. I'm not going to, right? But I could. God's going to do it. That takes the edge off. Still scary, but also with confidence, all right? So if you will, please um, pray for me this morning, okay? Um, And pray with me. I'm going to pray before we get into this, but please pray for me that I would shoulder that responsibility well um, and that God would move in this place this morning. So y'all pray with me and for me. Father God, thank you that in Bonnie's dance studio, you are here. Thank you, Father, that this morning we can gather as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can gather as people who may not know you all in one place and worship you. Father, I pray that that's what this next time would be, that we don't come in here and just sing a few songs and listen to somebody get up and talk and then sing another song and go home, Father, but that we would enter into a place of worship, that we would worship you through praise, and then that now as we get into the text, that we would just continue in that worship of you. And so this morning, Father, would you move in this place? Would you speak through me in spite of me? God, so that you may be honored. And this, this, this word is taught rightly in your eyes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
All right, so this morning, we're going to be in the second half of Exodus chapter 23. So if you have the text with you, um, go ahead and open and turn there. Exodus chapter 23, starting in verse 20. Um, And in preparing to preach, right, like this is the part where you do the introduction. This is where you would do a, you know, you hear a lot of people... They'll tell a good story, a funny story, a hook that like it's, it's personal, it relates, and it eases us into the scripture. And about on my 198th time through reading this passage, like God just put it right on me. He said, look, I have already written the introduction to this teaching. It's right there. It's the very first word of the passage that we're studying, and it is behold. It is God saying, behold. Behold, right? To me, it makes me think of like the military, right? Where like you got a bunch of guys and girls sitting in the barracks or the space or whatever it is, and they're doing their thing. And then all of a sudden, somebody important walks in, and what do they do? All right, say, attention on deck. Everybody pops up, locks up, and is fully focused, facing forward, ready to go, right? So everybody get ready and behold, all right? Because here we go. Let's get into the text. Exodus chapter 23, starting in verse 20, says, Behold, I send an angel before you to guard you on the way and to bring you to the place that I have prepared. Pay careful attention to him and obey his voice. Do not rebel against him, for he will not pardon your transgression, for my name is in him. But if you carefully obey his voice and do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them, nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little... I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the wilderness to the Euphrates. For I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. This is the word of the Lord. Um, So I titled this sermon, The Pathway to the Promise, because that is what this is. God is laying out a roadmap for the Israelites' pathway to the promised land. We're told in this passage that that pathway is a guided pathway, right? There is an angel that is sent before the people of Israel to guide them along their way. Now, this is not just any angel, right? And not that like any angel is just any angel because it's an angel, but this angel in particular, right, is a specific angel, okay? Um, This is what is called a Christophany, 
right? And that is a word that smart academic people use. I'm not smart or academic. So what that means is that Jesus is showing up in the Old Testament before he comes on earth in flesh, okay? This angel is Jesus. This is the pre-incarnate son of God. And there are three things in this passage that give me great confidence. And after studying it for months and after following the Lord for years, that that is in fact what is happening. The first one, verse 21, it says that he, the angel, will not pardon your transgression. So that means that this angel has the power and authority to pardon transgression, to pardon sin. Sound familiar? Number two, the end of verse 21, it says, for my name is in him. God says, for my name is in him. Now, in the Hebrew culture, the name was incredibly significant, far more significant than we Westerners can, can wrap our minds around, right? And so, like, the, the name of someone spoke to the character of someone, to their attributes, and God takes it to a whole nother level. The name of God, there are books written, there are studies done, there are series preached on the names of God because of the significance of that. And God says, my name is in him, in this angel. And so if those two aren't enough, which they should be, but if they're not enough, thirdly, down in verse 25, God does this thing where he kind of like interchanges the, 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 where he will and I will. Um, and, and it's like there's two people existing in one person. Does that sound familiar? That is, that is the Trinity. That is the triune God. And that is confusing because our human minds can't wrap our minds around it. And that's the same reason you get confused when you first read verse 25. It's like, wait, he said, but I said, and I'm confused because it's the same person. Right? It's the same person because it is two people existing as one God. Okay? This is Jesus. Okay, so God says, behold, I send an angel. I send Jesus before you. And so now that we know who that is, listen to this. He commands them. Pay careful attention to him and what? Obey his voice. But if you carefully, what? Obey his voice and what? Do all that I say, then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. The Israelites are commanded to obey, and not just obey anyone. They are to obey Jesus that goes before them, right? The song we sang earlier, perfect, right? Worthy of your name. Why do they obey? Why, why should they obey? Because it is Jesus. It is God, and he is worthy of his name. And we could stop there because that command is all-encompassing, Right? Like, what if, we, what if we, I don't want y'all to get used to stopping there, right? Like, it's 1030, we can't leave yet, right? I'm not going to let y'all get used to that. Um, but we could. That, that word obey is all-encompassing. <laughs> what, if, what if we did weddings like that, right? What if, we, what if we did a wedding like, hey, do you? Yep. Do you? Yep. They do. Good night. <laughs> right? No. They, there's more to it, and there's more to this passage. So we're going to settle into the passage, all right? But... The first step in the pathway to the promise for the Israelites is to obey Jesus who goes before them. All right? So now that we know that they are, going to, that they are commanded to obey, 
verses 23 through 25 are going to show us what that obedience looks like. Verse 23 says, When my angel goes before you and brings you to the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I blot them out, verse 24, you shall not bow down to their gods nor serve them nor do as they do, but you shall utterly overthrow them and break their pillars in pieces. You shall serve the Lord your God. Obedience looks like serving the Lord your God and God alone. God says in this passage, you shall be different. You shall not conform to the other people's ways in worshiping other gods and worshiping false gods. You shall not serve them. Now, these, the, the, these people have been in polytheistic, polytheistic Egypt for 400 years, right? There is a reason that God presses into this so hard. It reminds me, like I can't help but turn back to the, the first and second commandment that God gives Moses in chapter 20, right? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. This word serve, it's the Hebrew word avad. Okay? It, it has the idea of a subject serving a sovereign, a servant serving a sovereign. So it would be like a subject in a kingdom serving a king or a queen. Okay? What obedience looks like, this command of obedience, it looks like giving your everything to God and God alone, to the one true God. And in a kingdom, when you're a subject, there's typically an ROI on that service, right? Like there's typically like a return. You get something from that king or that queen, from that sovereign, right? Sometimes it's protection. Sometimes it could be provision, Right? And we are going to see here in the next piece of this passage exactly what it gets the people of Israel. Okay? So picking up in verse 25. You shall serve the Lord your God. And he will, again confusing, God will, Jesus will. He will bless your bread and your water. And I will take sickness away from among you. None shall miscarry or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. And what? I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And what? I will send hornets before you. Skipping down to verse 30. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. And I will... Set your border from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines, and I will give the inhabitants of the land into your hand. I will, I will, I will. He leads it starting in verse 20 with, I will be an enemy to your enemies. And then he goes on eight more times in the passage to say, I will be for you, Israel. I will be for you. So, what do the Israelites get for their obedience? Well, duh, they get the promised land, right? When I would say that's a fair answer, okay? But let me ask you this. Where do we live? We live in the United States of America, right? And compared to 
A lot of the rest of the world arguably, this is like the land of milk and honey, right? Not only that, we live in Texas. I'm a little partial, right? Not only that, we live in the woodlands, Texas. That's like taking like the volcano of milk and honey, setting it on top of the highest point of the land of milk and honey, and that thing erupts with the sweetest taste in promised land milk and fresh made honey you ever had in your whole life. It's the woodlands. But you don't have to look very far find a whole lot of people got a big old empty hole inside of them. They're hurting. They're miserable. They're empty. They got everything in the world you could ever imagine, but they got, they're empty because they don't have God. Without God, it's just a piece of dirt, right? It's a piece of dirt God created. It's beautiful, but without God, It's just real estate. What do the Israelites get for their obedience? They get God. They get God. They get a relationship with the almighty God. Then, verse 29, we catch a little plot twist. All right? You're driving any fancy new cars, this is what it reminds me of, right? You're driving along and they start, they don't like when there's stuff in front of you, they start beeping at you, right? And if you've ever done this before, sometimes you don't stop soon enough that the car likes you to stop, it'll and hit the brakes for you, right? That's what I feel like when I read verse 29, okay? God says, I will, I will, I will, and then, I will not. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate, and the wild beasts multiply. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and possessed the land. See, God, in his infinite wisdom, said, not going to give it to them instantly, right away. There's going to be a process, okay? And it's going to be on purpose, and it's going to require patience, And yes, all three of those start with P on purpose, right? There is going to be a process that will be on purpose, that will require patience, and that patience will lead to trust, trust in Jesus. Um, I went to a conference just this past week. We talked about kind of the um, American consumer today and how they think and what they're doing. And you remember in like grade school where you learned how to spell Mississippi, M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I, like the, the consumer today thinks like this. I want what I want when I want it where I want it. Right? Like, I, I'm, I am in retail. That's what I do. Like, we are trying to figure out how to give customers what they want, when they want, where they want it. Everybody wants it right now. And I like to get, you know, I get all old and cynical. I'm, I feel like I'm old enough to get like that. I get up on my soapbox and talk about the, the, the instant gratification culture, right? Um, I'm in it too. We all are. You are. If you think you're not, you are, right? You got a microwave in your house. You are. We want it now. But God, in his infinite wisdom, knows that there is beauty in the process, right? There is refinement that happens in the process. And and in that process, it points us to a God that we can trust, that we know at the end of the process, 
will be there to deliver on his promises. Amen? All right? And so also in that process, there is wisdom in knowing that there are people coming along that could be, that could be brought in to the pathway through the process, right? It's not just about you, sorry, right? There are other people coming along that as you are going through this process, if we just said, all right, I obey and I'm in, right? It's just me. But no, like as we go through that process, there are people along the way. There were Canaanites along the way, right? And yeah, they get, God talks about blotting them out, but like there's a bunch of them. You got to believe that there are some there that see the one true God and follow the one true God and leave their gods behind. There's a process, right? The pathway to the promise started with obedience to Jesus, who goes ahead of them. Okay, then we're told what that obedience looks like, and then we're told what it gets them. It gets them God. Then finally, in verse 32, God tells us the danger of disobedience. Verse 32. You shall make no covenant with them and their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. See, allowing the Canaanites and the others to remain in the land to cohabitate with them, God says, is dangerous. He says it will be a snare to them. And I, when, I, when I first read that word a few times, snare, like it kind of made me think of like walking through the woods and like you kind of get caught up on something, you know, and you like shake it off and get off and then you kind of keep going, right? Then we started watching this show called Alone at our house. Anybody seen Alone yet? Right? It's good. Um, it, it's a survival show, not like Survivor. It's, it's legit. They take 10 people, drop them in the woods in the middle of nowhere, right? It's all self-filmed. There's no crew. They are literally alone. They get to bring like 10 things with them, right? And what they have to do then, once they get dropped in there, they've got to they've build shelter and they've got to provi- they find food, okay? And we're not talking like, man, like I'm kind of hungry. I'm talking like they're there for like months, right? 30 days, 100, like there's some, it's crazy, right? So they got to find food. And one way that they hunt is by setting snares. So there's a bunch of rabbits and stuff that run across the ground um, that they're hunting. And so what they do is they set a snare on the ground, okay? And what this snare does is it lures these animals in, right? With the intent of drawing them in and getting them into a place where you can eat them, right? Straight up. They're, we're trying to kill these rabbits, y'all, all right? That's what a snare is for. A snare is meant to draw something in and to kill it, right? So think about that. We're not, I'm not shaking off. Think about that when you read that, right? It can be a snare to you. Now, thank goodness there's the book of Leviticus that creates the sacrificial system for when they get ensnared and that they have a way to be forgiven. And thank the Lord, literally, right, that we have a Jesus who sacrificed for us so that when we, can be, when we are ensnared, that we have an opportunity to be forgiven. But it is a snare. Don't, don't, don't downplay that word. It is a snare that is meant to kill them. All right? Now, the dangers that the Israelites faced are really fundamentally no different than the dangers that we face in our lives today, 
Because the pathway that God laid out for the people of Israel in Exodus is to enter the promised land is the same pathway that we have today. It's the, the pathway of the old covenant, very, very similar, the same pathway of the new covenant. See, in the New Testament, Jesus uses a single word to capture, to capture all that God conveys in the Old Testament with his word obey. Okay? It is the Greek word akolutheo. Echo Lutheo. Okay? It translates to English, follow me. It shows up 20 times throughout the Gospels, 20 times. In one single word, Jesus lays out our pathway to the promise. We, today, we are to follow him. Okay? The, the, the disciples that Jesus calls into his ministry show us exactly what that looks like. They show us a perfect picture of what that obedience looks like to follow him. Right? So when Simon Peter and Andrew are in their boats fishing, Jesus shows up on the scene and says, Akolutheo, follow me. What do they do? Drop their nets. Drop their fish. They even drop their pops and go. Right? Jesus goes to Matthew, the tax collector in his tax booth. Says, Matthew, Akolutheo, follow me. Matthew leaves it behind and he goes. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's what it looks like to hear that, that word from Jesus, akolutheo, and to follow him. See, those, those disciples, those fishermen, like, they didn't just, yeah, that sounds good, right? No, they left everything behind. And they went behind a Jesus who led ahead of them, not fully understanding, but knowing that it was good. And knowing that it was worthy. Right? And they were willing to go through the process to find out why. Matthew. Matthew had a lot of stuff going for him, right? I mean, yeah, his people hated him. But man, he, had a, he, was, he was doing well for himself. Left it all behind. And says, this is better. Even if I don't understand it, this is better. And just like the Israelites, there's a reward for those who follow Jesus. Just like the Israelites, it looks on the surface like it's a place, like it's heaven, right? But it is a relationship with God, just like the Israelites. The Gospel of John, chapter 14, you'll turn there with me. It, lay, it just paints a beautiful picture of what this looks like. In John, chapter 14, we find Jesus... In the upper room with the disciples, he's, Judas has just done his thing to betray him. Jesus has the cross to look forward to. And in, in, in 14, chap, chapter 14, verse 1, Jesus is speaking. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, uh, Lord, we, we don't know where you're going. Uh, how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes where? No one comes to the Father except through me. That's where we're going. We're going to the Father. 
And because of the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, we have a relationship with God the Father. And I wish I had time to get into it because there is so much there to unpack in the sanctification process. But I do know this, that the woodlands is nice and everything, but it ain't heaven. Right? These streets ain't gold, I promise you. And we are living in the little by little right now that God talks about in Exodus. We are in the process of sanctification that requires patience, that leads to trust in who Jesus is and what he promises. And in the midst of this process, we face the very same dangers of disobedience that the people of Israel faced, right? And when I say the same, I mean fundamentally, they are the same, they are snares, but y'all, I'm telling you, like, the, the sin that we face, I think, is infinitely more dangerous because the false gods here were made of gold. They forged them into things that looked like calves. They made pillars. And here in the woodlands, we don't do that. They're scarier than that, right? Because they're not constructed. They are things that we can create and hide and create and hide. But they're snares, just like the snares of the Old Testament. And I'll be honest with y'all, like I, this is, I have this in my life. I deal with this on a daily basis, and it's hard. And um, actually, I'm going to invite Zach and Jelana back up. Um, Jen Wilkin, little plug, ladies, um, Jen Wilkin night's coming up soon. Highly recommend checking it out. And you'll, when you listen to what I'm about to read, um, you're going to hear why. Um, there's wisdom in this. She talks about these false gods that we see today. She says, the children of Yahweh today are not so different from the children of Yahweh then. Like Israel, we affirm that there are no other gods verbally and intellectually, but not practically. Practically, we live as polytheists. Our idolatry is a both-and arrangement. I need God and I need a spouse. I need God and I need a smaller waist size. I need God and I need good health. I need God and I need a well-padded bank account. And in our minds, we rationalize that the both-and still offers God some form or degree of worship so that everything must be okay. Yet according to Exodus... To cease to worship God alone is to corrupt any worship still offered to him. To cease to worship God alone is to corrupt any worship still offered to him. She goes on to say, it often takes a crisis to point out our folly. There's nothing like a financial crisis to teach us our worship of money and comfort in addition to God. There's nothing like a wayward child or a divorce to teach us our worship of having a perfect family in addition to God. There's nothing like the aging process to teach us our worship of health and beauty in addition to God. And y'all, I'm just going to be straight, straight with y'all today. It doesn't even take a crisis for me to know that it's there. I don't even need the crisis. That just, that just elevates it. I know it's there. And that's just me. Maybe it's just me, but I doubt it. I got a real good feeling that there's some other people in this room this morning that know it's there. And here's, what's, here's the danger, right? The danger is that we know it's there this morning and we leave here and it's still there. 
We come back next week. We worship in this space. And because we do that, we feel like eh, we're, we're okay, and we rationalize it. Right? It's got to be put to death. It's got to be put to death. That's what I'm going to walk out of here this morning praying for myself and praying for y'all, right? is that somehow we figure out how to together walk alongside one another and put it to death. God says, blot it out. Blot them out. Because if we cohabitate with anything other than the one true God, we're going to step into a snare. But God, amen? But God, put us on a pathway to a promise that we can trust in with people around us that we can trust in that want the same thing, relationship with God the Father. That's my prayer this morning. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are wise and you are worthy of your name. Lord, that you are worthy of our obedience. You are worthy of leaving everything behind to follow. God, and even though I wish it was immediate and I wish we could go home, it's not. And we're right here, right now this morning in the little by little and in the process. God, my prayer this morning is that if there is anything that we cohabitate with and allow to have any piece of worship in our lives, Jesus, that you would go ahead and you would blot that out. Because I know that I cannot do that on my own. I can't. I can try as hard as I want, but I can't do it on my own. And if I did, I wouldn't even need you. So, (laughs) God, you are good to me. And you are with me and you're with these people this morning. God, I pray that as we leave here, that we would go and we would attack those snares. In Jesus' name.